trumpet sound. Boy, the same God that created the universe is the God that left us His Word. And the one thing that we find in the Word is that He promises to come back again. Amen? And so we're thankful for that and we're looking forward to His return. I think the older I get and the more I'm faced with certain issues in my life, the more I want the Lord to come back. And so I don't have to face the grave. I just go straight to heaven. You know what I mean? That'd be alright with me. I'd be alright with that. That'd be good. Can you imagine that? If you are saved today, you're alive. And you'd never have to die. And that's something, not just physically, but spiritually, you're for life forever too now. So you don't have to deal with the second death. And you wouldn't have to deal with this one. Wouldn't that be awesome? To avoid death altogether. That'd be sweet. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 today. We're going to begin our series uh, over the next three weeks. Our Fight the Good Fight series. And again, we've... We've looked at that a few times. I mean, uh, our theme this year is fight the good fight. You see the uh, banners up front here, and we've been focusing on that throughout the year. And we've visited this theme already a couple of times. First of all, in the spring, we talked about it. We focused on the idea that we're to fight the good fight as stewards. Stewards. And then we talked about, in the summer, fight the good fight as servants. Servants. Well, over these next couple of weeks, these three weeks... We're going to focus on the idea or the thought, fight the good fight as soldiers, as soldiers. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, we read, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Notice, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Like that passage, fight the good fight of faith. Second Timothy chapter 2, turn there if you would now please. As we consider fighting the good fight, that's our theme verse. And we are fighting the good fight. So we're going to do just that as soldiers now. Again, Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 through 4, we read this. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That therefore, excuse me, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Again, verse 3 and 4 being the key verses there. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're fighting a good fight. We're soldiers for Jesus Christ and of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul's writing a letter to his son in the faith, and that son in the faith is none other than Timothy. It's the same person who the, name is, the book is named after. And Timothy is relatively young in comparison to the Apostle Paul, of course. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is preparing, planning, readying himself for the day when he will go back to be with the Lord. And he expects it to be very, very soon. Because over in 2 Timothy, again, chapter 4, just two chapters later, we read in verse 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So the Apostle Paul's preparing. He's ready now, to, ready to go to heaven, to make his, his uh, absence on earth, but his presence felt in heaven. And so he's writing this letter now to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith, if you will. And he's giving him some insights. He's a veteran of the Christian life. He's a veteran of spiritual warfare. He now writes Timothy with the hope of encouraging him inspiring him to fight the good fight himself. In our passage here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4, we note a few very significant traits that the Apostle Paul would have Timothy and every soldier in the faith to possess. First of all, I want you to notice verse 3. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. First of all, determination is required. There must be determination. If we're going to be a good soldier, if we're going to fight the good fight, we're going to need to have some determination. We're going to have to endure. We're going to have to stand. And that's what the Bible's teaching or saying here. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you're a soldier for Jesus Christ, guess what? I'll guarantee you're going to endure some hardship. You're going to endure some difficulty. You're going to face some danger along the way. So determination is absolutely necessary. Not only that, but we notice also in verse 4, the very beginning of it, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, he says. Not only determination is going to be needed, but also devotion Devotion. A devotion to a particular cause. In this case, he says, No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Before you are headed, uh, sent out to the field, before you go off to war, they make you plan and prepare your future in a sense. They have you do a will. They make you put your, your uh, personal matters in order. They make you get some things ready. Why? Because they don't want your mind focused on people and circumstances back home. They want you to be able to totally and completely focus your attention on the battle at hand, the warfare that you're, you're involved in. When a person gets their mind back home, that's when they make mistakes. 
And the fact is, is that in this particular passage, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So there must be devotion, a devotion to a particular cause. And we're going to note that cause is the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. And finally, we notice here also, he goes on to say, That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We see determination, devotion, but also desire here. The desire of the soldier is to please the commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. To want his approval. To want to please him who sends him into warfare, into battle. To do the job that he's intended him to do. To accomplish it in a way that will please his commander. Determination, devotion, and desire. Those are absolutely necessary in our life. If we hope to gain the victory, if we hope to fight the good fight as God intended us to. And over the next three weeks, we're going to consider those three characteristics. And today I want to focus our attention on this aspect of determination today. Determination. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now determination is essential in this life. There must be an attitude and an, 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 an attitude of, 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 of determination, especially in the Christian life, uh, because you're going to face opposition. That's all there is to it. You're going to face opposition. So you might as well plan on it. You might as well be ready for it. And, and it's going to require some determination. Opposition is the nature of warfare. You go to war to battle. You go to war to in, in, enter into conflict. You go to war to face opposition. Well, the Bible calls us soldiers, so what can we expect? Opposition. We can expect it. If the road is too smooth, then maybe we're not in the battle. That's just the reality of it. Someone says, man, I've never had any problems. This being a Christian thing is really great. It's smooth sailing. Never have any issues. Never have any battles. Man, everybody loves me and everybody gets along with me at work. I never have any problems. Uh, nobody, man, there's no issues at all in life. It's wonderful. You say the Christian life isn't? Yeah, it's a wonderful life, but it is not a problem-free life. It is a life that demands some determination because you're going to face some opposition. Let me tell you, when you take the Word of God out into a world like we live in today, I guarantee you somebody's not going to agree with it and somebody's not going to be appreciative of it and somebody's not going to like you for sharing your Word or the Word of God with them. There's going to be some opposition when you take a stand as a family and you say our children aren't going to go to those places and they're not going to do those kind of things and we're not going to get involved in those kind of issues. Then somebody says you're not being very kind and you're not allowing your children to express themselves and they have a right to be their own person. Well, that's the attitude and the mentality that seems to be permeating our culture today. And let me tell you something. You're going to face some opposition in life when you take a stand biblically and scripturally. It's just life. It's the biblical Christian life. And so you might as well get ready for it. It's coming. So you're going to need some determination. I mean, where are we going to face some opposition? I'm going to give you three places we're going to face opposition. And then I want to tell you how to deal with it. I want to give you a prescription of how to have victory in the midst of a mess. When the enemy's fighting, okay? That's what I want to spend the bulk of my time. So I'm going to spend just a few minutes on three aspects or three areas that we're going to receive some opposition. And then I want to just take a few moments, and I'm going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. We're going to break it down, and I'm going to give you nine things that you must do if you want to get the victory and overcome the battle. Okay? So that's what we're going to do today. 
Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We have just a few moments, Lord. But in these next few moments, may you be glorified. Lord, empower me and enable me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, the word of God that, Father, you've provided for us, that you've given to us, is what we need. Father, there's a number of self-help books in the world that tell us how to overcome this and how to deal with that and how to get victory over this in our life and that in our life. But, Lord, the Word of God is the best self-help book there ever has been written. Lord, there is no book that even compares. It's your Word. And, Father, you're the Creator. You know exactly what we need. And, Father, may we certainly heed your advice before we would heed another man or another woman. Help us, Father, now to truly heed your word not just hear it but heed it apply it to our life be glorified in this service and lord may we be encouraged today that although we're going to face opposition we can overcome it we can be victorious and lord with you all things are possible we love you and thank you in christ's name amen first of all where are we going to where are we going to receive opposition well it's pretty obvious isn't it number one would be satan right Certainly Satan's going to be fighting us. He's going to be battling with us. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I mean, he is out there seeking to devour us, to destroy us, to wreck and ruin our lives. He wants your children. He wants your marriage. He wants your sanity. He even wants your health. He's trying to destroy us. He's trying to ruin us. He's trying to wreck us. Take your Bible. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, would you? Satan's going to be battling us. He's going to be opposing us as God's children. He hates our Father. He will hate us. That's all there is to it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It goes on to say, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, our battle isn't with mere men. Our battle is with the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who is none other than Satan. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, where, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's talking about Satan again. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now I want you to notice there in the passage in chapter 6, verse 11, that we are called to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles. Wiles are nothing less than a trick or a, tr- a strategy practiced for the purpose of ensnaring or, or deceiving us. The devil wants to ensnare us. He wants to cause us to go into captivity. He wants to bring us basically into chains. He wants to put us behind bars, if you will. He's going to try to deceive us, and he's going to use tricks to do so. Those are called wiles. Now, I want you to notice that the word there in the Bible that's used, wiles, is a plural form. It's not just one wile. It's not one trick. It's many tricks, multiple tricks, wiles. That means that the devil has a number of tricks or strategies up his sleeve. 
You say, what's makes that? What, why, why does that matter? Well, if Satan can't trick you one way, he will seek to trick you another way. If he cannot trick you into rebelling or to rejecting God at some point in your life one way, he will use another way to get you to reject or rebel against God. He's not one single faceted. He's multifaceted. He's very capable. He's very qualified to do the work he's been doing. He's been doing it for over 6,000 years. So if you overcome one attack, one strategy, be prepared. The devil's probably trying to flank you. He's trying to come around the backside. He's trying to sneak up on you somewhere else. He's trying to get you where you feel most comfortable. Because he's got many wiles. And the Bible tells us that we simply are to stand against the wiles. The many tricks and deceptions that he has for us. You know that Satan will use people. He will use battles in our lives. He will use temptations. He will use past failures. He'll use any circumstance he can to trick us, to deceive us, to cause us to ultimately turn from him. And that's the trick there. Because if he can get you to turn from what God wants and demands, then you have turned from him. The the problem is sometimes we separate our attitudes and our actions from what we Believe ourselves to be. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. But we say you shall know them by their feelings. I feel like a good Christian. I feel I'm doing the best I can. I feel that I'm on the right road. I feel that I'm justified in my actions and feelings. Well, let's find out what God says then. Is your attitude toward that person, toward that situation, toward that thing right, according to God's word? Yeah, but that's different because we shall know them by their fruit. See, we like to judge people by their actions, but we want to be judged by our motives. Well, I really had good, and I really intended it to be good. It just ended up bad. Well, the only question we have then is, who tricked you? Who tricked you into believing that you were right when you were really wrong? Somebody did. Let me tell you, Satan's trying to trick us. You better be prepared for that trick. You better be looking for the deception. And by the way, deception, the more truth you wrap around the lie, the easier it is to swallow. So be careful. Society. Not only will we face opposition from Satan, we're going to face opposition from society. We live in a world today that is upside down, where evil is called good and good is called evil. I mean, we can look at the passages in, in the Word of God that teach that, but the fact is today is that every one of us in this room must ad- ad- admit to that, I would imagine. I mean, things that 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, that we said were wrong, dead wrong, are viewed as okay today and embraced as right. 
our culture is changing. Our society is turning around. It's, it's focusing and it uh, has a different perspective than it used to. Where once we were a little bit more biblically minded, where once we were a little more biblically based, it seems that we've gotten away from the Word of God and really man's ideas and man's concepts and man's ideology and man's perspective seems to reign today. Take your Bible, look over John chapter 15. You say, where's the opposition come? From society. And why is that? Because you don't think like them. Or sh- we shouldn't, at least. <laughs> I mean, at least we shouldn't. You, you don't act like them. At least we shouldn't. I mean, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're not to be conformed to this world. And so, therefore, what does Jesus warn us of? Here in John 15, the Lord's speaking to His disciples and others, and He says, verse 18, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. The world? You know He's talking about? He's talking about the society in which we live. The world system. Their philosophies, their ideology, the, the, the whole foundation of this world we live, the culture in which we live. The world itself, the people and the things in it that are anti-Christ. He said, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. You got anybody in your family that doesn't agree with your position? I'm not even going to list the uh, list of things you ought to have a good position on. I think if I raised hands and said, okay, let's start picking some things that we ought to have a different opinion or a different view of in, from our culture and our society of that are very, even maybe being forced down our throat today in, in America, and I guarantee it, three or four things would pop up just like this. Well, let me ask you, is anybody, does anybody in your family even know that you don't agree with the world's philosophy? Have you made it known to anybody that you're a Christian? Because if you have, I promise you, if they know you're a Christian and they know that you don't agree with things that go contrary to the Word of God, there's going to be somebody that's going to go, well, you know what? You're just an old stick in the mud. You know what? You're just all backward. You know what? You're just not up with the times. So you're, you know what? You're just one of those haters. And You understand where I'm going? Remember, verse 20, the word that I said unto you, The servant's not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. Hmm. Society. He says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. If we're going to live godly in Christ, if we're going to actually live a separated life from the world, if we're going to be different, peculiar people as God intends us to be, guess what? Some people aren't going to understand that. Listen, I don't think that they're all bad people. Don't misunderstand me. A lot of good people will not understand our perspective. Because, see, good's different than godly. There's a lot of good people in the world. Nice and benevolent and caring and considerate. And I thank God for those people. The only problem is is that we, being godly, have a different standard of living than the world does. So, even though they may have good characters and good qualities and good, uh, a good perspective in some areas, there are going to be some aspects of this book that are going to rub them wrong because they're not spiritual. They're dead in their sin yet. 
There's no reflection on them as a husband, maybe. They're probably maybe a great husband. Maybe a wonderful wife. Maybe a wonderful family man, family woman. Maybe you have a wonderful family. That's, that's fine. That has nothing to do with this. But let me tell you something. If you're a child of God and you are living a godly, separated life, even good people will not understand your devotion to Christ and your focus on this book and your adherence to it so methodically. I mean, your, your methodical adherence to it. Just this is how we live our life because the Word of God says. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? They won't understand that. And some may not even agree with you, unfortunately. Now, Satan and society. Society's run and governed by Satan himself. He is the God of this world, which is the world system. So if the Satan's going to be opposing us, then obviously the system that he is in charge of will also oppose us, and that's called the world. Now, what else? Last of these three, self. Self. Satan will oppose us. Society will oppose us. And also self. You say, what do you mean yourself? Absolutely ourselves. Look in James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. The biggest problem that Mark O'Donnell has in life is Mark O'Donnell. And, I, and some of you are going, really? Amen, brother. I, I, I could hear that under your breath. I, I heard it. I heard it. It, it, it echoed. It echoed in, inside my heart, and it really broke my heart just now. You, you really hurt me when you did that. Oh, that's right. They that love God's Word, we can't be offended. That's right. I forgot about that. So, oh, well. I love the Word of God, so you didn't offend me. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. We were talking about that back in the singles class. We had a uh, rip-your-face-off Sunday today. And, and we, we did. We had a rip-your-face-off Sunday in, in Sunday school. That's why they look so bad today. Their faces are all gone. James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. <laughs> but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James 1.14. Notice, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Do you know what he said? You're your biggest problem. He said, I'm struggling with this temptation in my life. You're the biggest problem. And so am I. And we're drawn away when we're tempted of our what? Own lust. Not someone else's. Our own. It's our problem. Our issues. Yourself, you're, you're one of the biggest problems you have in life. The Christian life, that is. You know why? Because you're flesh. So am I. Flesh. And that flesh wants what it wants, not always what God wants. Right. And boy, let me tell you, this is a problem right here. This is a big problem. It's an opposition I have to face every day of my life. Every single day. You know what? It's true with each and every one of us, isn't it? So we talk about being a soldier for the Lord. And you know, we are soldiers. We're soldiers because we joined the army. You know, God, has, God does not have um, a draft. He doesn't draft people into His army. It's all volunteer army. Amen. You choose to join it. But when you choose, you join it and say, Here I am, Lord. I'm a soldier now. 
And God says, well, guess what? I just want you to know, as a soldier, you're going to run into some opposition. Because that's what soldiers do. They're opposed, and they oppose other things. They hold ground. They take ground. They do the work of God. So guess what? You're going to have some opposition from Satan. You're going to have some opposition from society. You're going to have some opposition from your own flesh, yourself. So how are we going to deal with that, then? Let's consider that for just the next few moments. Turn to Second, excuse me, turn to Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. I want to look at a passage here in 2 Chronicles that speaks about a particular king by the name of Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament. It's right after 1 Chronicles. So if you find that, move to the right. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 1. I'm not really going to read it all the way through because I'm going to look at the first 25 verses. In those first 25 verses, I'm going to give you nine things, I guess. Nine steps of this recipe. Nine things that must take place if we're going to see victory, even as Jehoshaphat did. Now, <clears throat> what's going on here in, first, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible says it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So Jehoshaphat's in a battle. He's in a warfare. They're coming against him. They're going to oppose him. And guess what? We already said you're going to have some opposition. So just like Jehoshaphat, you're going to have an army against you at times. You're going to have... Satan, you're going to have society, you'll have yourself to war with and deal with. And so we see that that's the case. And so is the case now with Jehoshaphat as they come before this king of Judah and they're going to seek to destroy him and his nation. Verse 2 says, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, on this side Syria, and behold, they be in, which is en I felt it best that you read some of the Word of God yourself without me reading it for you. <clears throat> and notice here again this great multitude against thee, he says. They're so said, hey, Jehoshaphat, we got this great army coming, this great multitude. Man, we got a real fight on our hands. We're in trouble here. You ever felt like that in your Christian life? Man, I'm in the midst of a... I mean, this is coming. I can see it coming. It's brewing, buddy. It's going to get ugly. I don't know about you, but I've been there. He understood what it was to face an overwhelming army or obstacle. And again, I think in this passage we have that recipe for gaining victory over the battle. So I'm going to take a few minutes and look at that. Look at verse 3 and 4. And as we read through it, we'll give you the points so we don't have to read it two and three times. Notice what it says here in verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Notice, first of all, if we're going to get the victory, if we're going to overcome the obstacles in our life, if we're going to demonstrate some determination and get the victory, then we have to get on our knees. We've got to get on our knees. Again, notice he says here, he gathered themselves to ask help of the Lord. That's called prayer. I'll tell you something, we do so many things without praying. We're so quick to try to solve our own problems. 
We're so quick to run to the world and ask even a friend or try to get some advice from someone before we've ever even considered going to God and saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Now listen, I'm not opposed to to godly counsel and I'm not opposed to reaching out to those who have have apparently seemed to overcome things in their life and have victories in their lives. And I think that you ought to use all the tools possible. Listen to me, I I, uh, understand what it is to go to a doctor and trust a doctor with your health, but in the long run, I've come to a conclusion in my life that my Lord is the primary physician, even so. In the end, when it's all said and done, a doctor can only put his hands on me, but God can touch me deep. And I don't know what God has in store for me, and I don't know what he has in store for you, but what I do know is that that same God is the very God that we can cry out to and come to on a regular basis in the midst of our hurts and our heartaches and our troubles and our trials. And when we are faced with opposition, God help us, God help us to go to him first. Say, well, I'm not getting any relief. I'm not getting any answers. That's fine. And he may direct you to some counsel. But why don't we let God lead us? Get on our knees. Get on your knees. That's the first thing. Number two, verse five. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Get in God's house. Get in God's house. I got a problem in my life. I'm having a struggle. I'm having difficulties. Well, then get in God's house. You know how many people are driven away from God's house in the midst of difficulties? A death comes into your family and you leave God's house. A husband dies and the wife never comes back. A wife dies and the husband never comes back to church. What is that about? That's crazy. Well, I'm angry at God. You can be angry all you want to be, but it won't change anything. You better get used to the fact that God is sovereign. And in the end, He does have a right to do with us as He pleases. And we are not here to, to, we are here for His pleasure. He's not there for ours. You know, we have this misconception about God that it's all about what we want and that He's obligated to do as we please. But that's not the case. And anybody that's been close to God, anybody that's walked with God any length of time knows that sometimes His will has to be accepted even when it doesn't feel good. The world has success and they enjoy it. Christian has to suffer and enjoy it. That's a hard reality to accept in our lives. That's something that's very hard to embrace. I don't know that I figured that one out yet. But I know in the Bible that's what I'm told. That's what I'm told, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. In the midst of any heartache and hurt, I've got to come to a place, finally, somehow, some way, that I can say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you with it. That's hard to do still battle with that and I'm warring with that in my life constantly and I think this flesh is holding me back sometimes but it's a reality of the Christian life get on your knees get in God's house don't let things draw you away from him let things draw you close to him then notice this verse 6 and 7 this will help with that it goes on to say so he, he, he says okay let's pray let's get to the house of God and he said O Lord God of our fathers. Art not thou God in heaven? 
And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? What's he doing? He's remembering what God has done. So you know what he's really saying? I'm remembering who God is. We need to remember who God is. Think about what God has done in your life. Think about what God has done for those in the past that you've known. Man, this is a great God. This is a big God. This is a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Yes, get on your knees. Get in God's house. But remember who God is. Remember how grand He is. Remember how large He is, how big He is, how capable, how qualified, how, how simple life is in His mind. He can orchestrate the universe. He certainly can orchestrate my life. Number four, verse eight and nine, he goes on to say, And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and I cry unto thee in our affliction, when thou wilt hear and help. When thou wilt hear and help. Did you see that? Remind yourself of his promises. They, they, they remember the promises. God said, if you'll obey me, if you'll seek my face, then I don't care what comes along, whether it's pestilence, whether it's health issues, whether it's this or that, I'll be faithful to you. I'll meet the need. I'll enable you to overcome and be victorious. And God did in the lives of Israel, as long as they were faithful and as long as they were obedient to him. Get on our knees. Get in God's house. Remember who God is. Remind ourselves of His promises. Well, we've got to get in the book and start saying, Okay, God, you're going to have to give me something to hang my hat on. I've got to have something. Because right now I'm ready to melt. I'm ready to fall apart. I've got to have something to hold on to here. I need a promise that you aren't going to leave me nor forsake me. I need a promise. That you're my light and my salvation. I need your promise. That you'll enable me to overcome. Be victorious. Number five. Ten and eleven. Notice this. We're going to hurry through these. And now he goes on to say, Behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned from them and destroyed them not. God wouldn't allow Israel to destroy them on their journey out of, out of Egypt. But notice now, <clears throat> behold, I say, how they reward us. To come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. I said, Lord, we did the right thing. When we left Egypt, we did exactly what you told us. We've been faithful to you. We've obeyed you in that regard. And now here they are, rewarding our good for evil, with evil. I did everything I could to bless them and encourage them. As a nation, we sought to provide for them, protect them. We could have destroyed them. We didn't because you told us to love them anyway, to, care, to, 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 to give them grace, to show them mercy. We did that. And now how do they reward us? Stabbing us in the back. said, now they want to kick us out of the land that you gave us even. 
You say, what in the world could be that point then? What are you trying to say? What do you think the Bible's teaching? I'll tell you what I think. If we're going to get victory, not only whether we got to get on our knees, get in God's house, remember who God is, remind ourselves of His promises, but we better make sure that we're not the problem. Let's make sure we're not the problem. Let's make sure we've done it God's way. I mean, he went right through it and said, listen, we did exactly what you said. We did not. We did not mess with Moab. We didn't mess with Ammon. We could have. We could have destroyed him, but you told us not to. And now here, how do they treat us? How do they reward us, Lord? David's a good example of that, isn't he? David would never stretch forth his hand among God, toward God's anointed. Wouldn't say a bad word about him. Wouldn't do a negative thing about him. Didn't have a negative thought about him. Wouldn't let none of his men either. Matter of fact, he killed others for having that negative thought and expressing it and doing wrong things toward that king. You know what happened when David had enemies? You know what he could do? He'd go back and say, but God, I did exactly what you've told me. I've been obedient all along. Take care of my enemies. Take care of my enemies. You deal with them. I don't know about you, but I'd rather face David than the God of David. And you know something? When you face an obstacle in your life, you better make sure it's not a self-inflicted obstacle. Check yourself out. Make sure you've been doing things God's way so that you can with boldness go to God and say, I've done exactly what the Word of God says. And you'll have that confidence in your prayers now. You'll have that confidence in your life. And you'll make sure that it's not something that you can repair and fix Right on your own, even. Number 6, verse 12. Notice he says this. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Beg God for mercy and help now. I mean, you're in the Word of God. I mean, you're on your knees. (laughs) You're in prayer. You're in God's house. Man, you're remembering, and, and you're remembering who God is and, and, and what He's done, and you're remembering the promises that He's given you, and you're reflecting on them, you're hiding them in your heart. You're making sure you weren't the problem. You made sure you're doing things exactly the way God said to do it. Now you're begging God, oh God, help me. Oh God, I can't do this. I can't face it alone. Sometimes it takes us way too long to get there. Don't wait. Just get there right off the bat. Avoid the rest of it. Try to cut it off early. Lord, I can't do it myself. I'll never be able to defeat this issue. I'll never be able to overcome it in my own strength. I can't do it. I'm a goner without you, Lord. And then verse 13 and 14 teaches us to wait on the Lord. Now there's just a time of prayer. We're waiting on God. I want to hear from you, Lord. I need to hear from you, Lord. What do you got to say about it, Lord? That can vary in length. Notice verse 15 and through 17. We've got to recognize that the battle is the Lord's now. Notice he says here, And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that thou and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. A prophet speaking now. He's gotten word from the Lord. They've waited on God. They prayed and they sought his face. God's answering now. And he says, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. 
Boy, that's a lesson we need to learn. Again, we're always trying to take matters in our own hands. We're trying to fight the battle for God instead of allowing God to fight it for us. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Recognize the battles of the Lord. And finally, last but not least, if we'd read the rest of the passage, 18 to 25, what we find is that they never had to fire one bow off. They never had to take a sword and swing it. They never had to throw one spear. Matter of fact, the enemies destroyed themselves. You say, how'd that happen? I have no idea, but it happened. I don't know what would cause them to do so. I don't know if God made them fear. I don't know, you know like he did in other passages when he, he made it sound like an army was rushing upon them and they got so crazy they just took off running. I don't know how it all worked out, but what I do know is this, is that the people of God walked in, spoiled these people of Ammon and Moab, spoiled them, took everything they had. All, they literally reached down and took trinkets and gold and silver off the bodies of those dead soldiers. I'm telling you, God delivered them. Supernaturally delivered them. You've got to claim the victory. So you say, I'm facing some troubles. I've got some trials in my life. I've got this this obstacle that I'm dealing with. Get on your knees. Get in God's house. Remember who God is. Remind yourself of His promises. Make sure you're not the problem. And then beg God for mercy and help. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Let God do His work. Recognize that the battle is the Lord's and finally claim the victory. Do you know what that all says? Stay out of it. Let God do it. Trust God to do the work in your life. Trust God to overcome the problem. Don't try to bear the burden alone. Don't try to carry the problem on your back. Don't try to fix it with your hands. Yes, there are steps that you'll be guided to take that the Lord will lead you into. As you're in His Word, as you're in His house, as you're on your knees, God will direct you and lead you. He will help you to know when to say what you're supposed to say, what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and how to get it done. If indeed you're to be a part of it at all. The problem is too often we're trying to fix it for God instead of letting God fix it for us. Soldiers. We need to fight the good fight as soldiers. We need determination. You know one of the hardest things to do is this, to take our hands off and let God. Be determined to let God. It'll make a difference. If you're lost today without Christ, you have to let God save you. You can't do it yourself. You can't do enough good deeds to wash your sin away, to earn heaven, or to earn the favor of God. You can't do that. Your sin is ingrained. It's who you are, not just what you do. You need a God of heaven to wash your sin away and to forgive you. You've got to let God save you. And if you're a child of God, you need to let God deliver you from your issues, your problems, your circumstances. Take your hands off and let God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together in your word. We thank you, Father, for the, just the, the, the examples that we have in the word of God. And Lord, even as Jehoshaphat received some deliverance, as the people of God were supernaturally delivered, Father, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to 